Tim Harris, pastor at Woodburn Baptist Church in the Overflow. We love you so much. Thank you for worshiping with us. You know, we are just a few months away from a brand new overflow spot in the new wing of the church. Uh, the construction's going on. It's a muddy mess today, uh, but we can't wait to see what God's going to do uh, in, a, in, in that new facility. God bless you in the overflow. Open your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 17. Jeremiah's in the Old Testament. Uh, find the book of Isaiah, and right behind Isaiah is tucked the book of Jeremiah. Some good things coming down the road for us as, as a church. Next Sunday, we will not be worshiping in this place. We will have one worship service at South Warren High School at 1030 a.m. It is Unity Sunday. It's going to be a great, great day. This is the, the annual celebration that our church uh, uh, observes as we get together with First Baptist Woodburn. Uh, also this year, St. Paul AME across the, the way there. And I believe two other local African-American congregations here in our community. Next Sunday, 1030 a.m. at South Warren High School, followed by Potluck Lunch. I want to give you all the details at the end of the service, but don't miss that. If you show up here next week, you will miss that. You'll, you'll miss us at South Warren. Following Sunday, the following Sunday, Matt Betts is going to be preaching. I'm going to be here, but I just happen to love to hear Matt Betts preach. He's going to preach the next sermon in this series. He's preaching along with me, and I can't wait to hear him preach. He's got socks on today that would preach. Uh, ask him to, you don't have to ask him, he will show that he would be wearing Bermuda shorts today to show off his socks if we let him. Jeremiah chapter 17 is where we are. This is the third sermon in a series entitled, When People Are Big and God is Small. When people are big and God is small. Biblically speaking, I am talking about what the Bible, the King James Bible, calls the fear of man. It's a phrase that some of you may not relate to, but, but, but my hunch is you relate to the idea, to the theme, to the reality of having people in much too large a place in your life. Now, we would all say that we need people. No man is an island, that the poet says, but very truly, sometimes we let the opinions of people begin to control us in ways that only God's opinion should control us. Um, I'm preaching this out of my own experience, out of my own struggle and, and my own heart. Um, I, I would say probably for years and years, I would have said that I love people. And I guess I still would say I love people. I, I love people. I would have said that one of the reasons God called me into ministry is because I just love people so much. And, and there's something true about that. But I've learned in about the last few years that, that that's not as true as I wish. It, it's not simply that I love people. The best way to put it would be to say that I love being loved. And those are not the same thing. To say you love people is one thing, but to love being loved by people, that's, that's something different altogether. And it took me years to understand the difference. And the difference is what I'm trying to convey in, in, in these sermons. In, in these sermons. To, to be in relationships where you just love to be loved, that puts you in a very precarious situation where what you do uh, becomes uh, shaped and, and, and intentionally manipulated to get a certain response from people. I would want people to think I'm a nice person. I would want people to say that I'm a good pastor. Uh, and again, in my heart of hearts, if you asked me, I would have said everything I did, I did because I, I love people. It's a very delicate kind of difference, but it is a dramatic difference just the same. And in my own life, it simply meant that I lived to please people more than I lived to please God. 
it, it took me a, a while to get to the place where I felt ready to preach these sermons because I simply don't like to preach when I'm not, when I'm not practicing. Uh, I feel like I'm growing and I feel ready to, to, to preach these. Uh, it's difficult uh, because it's personal, but I believe it's personal for some of you as well, and maybe we can all find help in God's Word. Jeremiah 17 is where we are this morning. We're going to start in verse 5. Uh, again, once you understand what this theme is, is and how it works in Scripture, nearly any place you open the Bible and drop your finger, you're, you're going to be somehow uh, dealing with this idea that you do not put your trust, you do not fear people, instead you fear God. And Jeremiah 17 is one of these passages. Uh, it's going to give you two images, that there are two parallel sections here. There's a curse, listen for it, a curse, and there's a blessing. And, and pay attention to how those are shaped. And I'm going to read all the way through 9 and 10, uh, just because those verses are good. Jeremiah 17, verse 5. This is what the Lord says. Cursed are those who put their trust in mere humans, those who rely on human strength and turn their hearts away from the Lord. They are like stunted shrubs in the desert with no hope for the future. They will live in the barren wilderness in an uninhabited salty land. But blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope and confidence. They are like trees planted along a river bank with roots that reach deep into the water. Such trees are not bothered by the heat or worried by long months of drought. Their leaves stay green and they never stop producing fruit. The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? But I, the Lord, search all hearts and examine secret motives. I give all people their due rewards according to what their actions deserve. All right, dig in with me. Keep your Bibles open. Go back. Verse 5, it's a curse. It's a curse. What is a curse? You might tell me. Lots of times in our lives, when we use the word curse, it's like, you know, you, you slam your thumb with a hammer and you say a curse word and, and, and don't. Uh, but understand, that's not exactly what we're talking about here. We're talking in a very technical and spiritual way about a curse. Verse 5, there is a curse pronounced. What is a curse? Uh, a curse is a pronouncement of, of impending and ultimate harm or doom. You understand what I'm saying? It's, just, it's, it's coming. It's impending. It's ultimate harm or doom. So this curse is a pronouncement of ultimate harm or doom that's going to come on a certain group of people. There is a curse, and after the curse, or with the curse, there is also a blessing pronounced. And, and a blessing is the very opposite of a curse. A blessing is a pronouncement of good things, of, of wonderful things, of ultimately good and wonderful things that are coming on a person or a group of people. So in this passage, you have first a curse and then a blessing, and this is the Lord who's speaking. So, so understand, you will never mock God, you will never find a loophole, you will never ever find a way to live your life where this does not apply to you. There is a curse and there is a blessing, and both of these are pronounced by God. You with me? Both the blessing and the curse are pronounced by God. But what you need to understand is, you will choose under which one of these you live. 
You will choose whether or not you live under the curse or whether or not you live under the blessing. God pronounces them both, but you will choose whether you live a life that is cursed or whether you live a life that is blessed. So let's take a look at it. Cursed are those who put their trust in man, who put their trust in mere humans, who rely on human strength and turn their hearts away from the Lord. Now, if you're like me, and, and I hope that you're not, I honestly hope that you're not, because I have this ability to deceive myself. I have this ability to look at myself and imagine that I'm doing everything right. I have this ability to read the Bible and somehow get through verse after verse after verse and, and never manage to apply it to myself. Maybe that's why this passage reminds us in verse 9 that the human heart is the most deceitful of all things, more wicked than anybody can tell. We're talking about your heart and my heart. This just simply means that it's very difficult for me to know my own heart. And this is what I'm trying to tell you. For years and years in my Christian life, I fell under this first category. I was living under this curse. Now, I wouldn't have understood that. And I would have told you that in my life, I relied on the Lord. I would not have said that my heart turned away from the Lord. But this is what you have to understand. You can't, you can't serve two masters. You can't divide your heart. You cannot trust in people or fear people or, or live to please people and live to please God also. You can't do both. As the old Chinese saying goes, he who tries to walk two paths will split his pants. Do you understand? You can't do both. Now, some of us imagine that we do, and therefore, since we simply assume that we rely on the Lord, we don't see the very fact that our life contradicts that. Cursed is the one who trusts in people. That person's like a shrub in the drought, and you can see that image. You've seen dead plants or, 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 or dried up plants. If you haven't, just come by my yard in the middle of any summer. Because things in my yard just, just seem to, to die. Plants die. They wither. And, and this is the point. The person who lives under this curse, there's something dry and desperate about their life. They may somehow manage to cling, but sort of like a, a dying shrub in the desert. But now the other kind of person, the person who trusts in the Lord, that one is like a tree. Okay, you understand? Bush, little shrub, tree. The difference is where they have sunk their roots. The difference comes down to the source of life. The shrub has no source. You understand? The shrub in the desert, the shrub in the drought, the person who trusts in other people, there's no source. And so the roots of that person's life have no supply for what they need for life. This is what the scripture is saying. The one who trusts in people has no source, has no supply for what they most deeply need. And that's why that person just withers desperately dry. So we're talking about the source of your life. That this curse and this blessing pronounced, you will decide under which you live. But what you need to understand is the choice comes down to the source for your life. What will be the source? Into what are you going to sink the roots of your life? Uh, from what will you draw the things that your soul most deeply needs? Okay, obviously that brings us to a, a, a deeper question, and that is, 
what is it that you need? If I'm looking for a source for my life, then I have to answer that basic question, a source of what? What is it that I need to thrive? What is it that I need to live and grow and bear fruit? Like the scripture says, a source of what? And if we were to stop and interview people in this church or people out on the street, people in Woodburn or Perry, Oklahoma, wherever we were to interview people, you would get all kinds of answers, but you would probably eventually catch on to a certain theme because most of us, as different as we are, we sort of think the same. If you ask most people what they need in life, they're probably going to say something to do with happiness. Most people want to be happy. And so in their life, what they perceive as their needs are going to circle around that that whole idea of of the things that make me feel good about myself, the things that make me happy. I I need to be happy in relationships. I need somebody. I, I need a partner. I need somebody so that I'm not alone. I need not to be alone, a lot of people would say. Or some people would say, I just need to feel pretty. <laughs> or I just need to feel like a man. I need in my life to feel masculine and strong. Or I need in my life to feel pretty and wanted and treasured by someone. You understand? These are the kinds of things I believe most people would say they need. I need I need happiness in my job, in my work. I want to feel good about my job and the way I make a living. I need a certain kind of financial margin in which to live comfortably. I need that. But understand, all of these answers that we would get, they sort of circle around that idea of the things that I need so that I can feel good about myself, so that I can be happy. problem with this, the problem with the way we frame our needs is that there's really very little in Scripture that supports that picture of ourselves. That idea that what we most desperately need are things that make us feel good about ourselves, things that make us happy. What you've got to understand is that the Scripture does not describe you in that way. It does not describe me in that way. And perhaps this is why so many of our lives literally struggle. Why there's so much frustration. Why there's so little satisfaction in your life. Maybe you've really never really figured out what it is you need. Because you're seeking happiness. You're seeking things that make you feel better about yourself. And just what if... What if your, your, your greatest problem, what if your deepest needs are not self-esteem needs? Now, I know if you tell Oprah I said that, she's going to, her head will explode. And most people you know, that their heads will explode. That's just how they think. It, it, it's in our culture. It, it, it's in our churches. It's just the way most people you know live their lives, assuming that their deepest need is to feel better about themselves, as if our problem, our deepest problem is a self-esteem problem. Do you understand that, that in Scripture, all of these needs, all of these things we describe to make us feel better about ourselves, these self-esteem issues, In Scripture, according to the gospel, these are not needs that I need to have satisfied. These are the parts of myself that I need to put to death. That's what the Bible says. That that selfish part of me, that part of me that wants to feel good about myself. Do you understand? That's the flesh, and the Scripture says I need to put that to death. Those aren't needs to be satisfied. Those are the parts of us that the gospel says we crucify with Christ. 
So understand, according to Scripture, my deepest need is not a self-esteem need. My deepest problem is not a self-image problem. It's a sin problem. You with me? Because I have a feeling this applies to you too. Our problem is a sin problem. So understand, the deepest need of my life is not to be happy. It is to be holy. That is what the scripture says. The purpose of my life is not to live in such a way where I just find happiness every day. And if you seek happiness in your life, you will never find it. You will never find it. You are not created simply to seek happiness. We were created in order to reflect the glory of God. We were created in order to share and participate in the glory of God. We were created, the scripture says, so that we can learn to know our creator and become like him. Jesus died in order to solve our sin problem, to separate us from our sins, and to transform us so that we can be holy as he is holy. That's what the Bible says. The purpose of my life is to know my creator and become like him. Do you see? And so my life is about holiness, not happiness. And as you've heard me say before, if in your life you seek happiness instead of holiness, you'll find neither. You'll find neither. But if you will seek holiness instead of happiness, you'll find both. You with me? You seek holiness instead of happiness, and you'll find both. Holiness is the purpose of your life. Holiness is your deepest need. So come back with me now. If we're looking for a source for our life, something into which we sink our roots so that we can thrive and live, then understand, you have to find a source for holiness, a source of that which can make you reflect God's glory and be transformed to be like him. And don't you understand, the only source of holiness is God himself. He is the only source. He is the only source for what you most deeply need in your life. It is God and God alone. This is why the scripture says, you are pronouncing a curse on yourself. Cursed is the one who makes human beings the source of his life. Cursed is the one who trusts in people. You will be like a shrub in the drought, like a bush in the desert. You will be dry. You will be parched. You will be desperate. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord. You'll be like a tree planted with roots going down deep into, deep into streams of living water. Even in drought, your leaves will stay green, do you understand? Because you have a source, and you'll never stop bearing fruit. It's a curse and a blessing, but, but you get to decide under which you live, you understand? But it is very difficult not to uh, make your life about people, or, or at least it is for me. I see people. I work for people. I, I answer to people. I, I want to say I love, I love people. But let me tell you what I've learned. When you make people the source of what, of what you feel like you most desperately need, then people become very, very big in your life. And the bigger people get in your life, the bigger your needs get. What I'm saying is, 
if what you feel like you need most is affection or attention or approval from people, there aren't enough people in the world to fill you up. If what you feel like you need more than anything is just a man to make you feel pretty and treasured and wanted, you need to understand there's not a man in the world who can fill you, lady. There's just not a man in the world who can do that for you. Sir, if you think that you need a woman to make you feel like a man, if you feel like you need to conquer a lot of sexual partners to feel masculine, you know what I'm saying? There aren't enough women in the world for you. The more you try to draw your life from people, the more full of death you become. The bigger people become in your life, the bigger your, your needs are. In my own experience, it, it was that desire for people's approval. And I felt like that was a good thing because it made me a nice person, or so I thought. It made me a person that, that did kind things for people all of the time. I would have said that I loved people and I did it out of love, but I wasn't doing it out of love. I was doing it out of need. I was doing it out of my need. I wasn't loving people. I was using people to get my needs met. And that's not love. And it's not even really the basis of any kind of relationship. You understand that? And so I, in my own life, in my spiritual life, became drier and more and more desperate. Because when you live just to make people think well of you, then listen, it becomes a full-time job. And then all it takes is one person who doesn't like you to completely blow your life to smithereens. At the end of any given Sunday, uh, a, a while back, I, I would just stand there and people would file by and say, good sermon, good sermon, good sermon, and that's fine. Honestly, I don't feel like I need a whole lot of that. But then one Sunday, there was this little girl, little girl, and she came by and said, you're the guy who was preaching out there. You see, I feel like a celebrity at that moment. I've been recognized. You know, you're the guy who was preaching out there. I said, yes, little girl, yes. I'm the one who was preaching out there. And she said, when you talk, it's like forever. <laughs> Wasn't that funny? But do you understand, if I need people to keep blowing up the balloon of my self-esteem, it only takes one to come by and let all the air out. You know what I'm talking about. It's an awful way to live because you cannot make people the source of your life. You can't. The bigger they become in your life, the more you depend upon them, the more desperate you become, the bigger your needs are. They don't have it. What you truly need, which is the holiness of God, the grace of God, they cannot offer that to you. Well, Brother Tim, you don't know my husband. He's a great man. My husband is my soulmate. He, he satisfies me every day, and we're going to live together forever, and you don't understand. I got a good man. Oh, lady, you're in for so much hurt. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I know he's a good man, but you can't count on people. They're human. You understand? Chances are, if you and your man follow the statistics, he's going to die first, and then where are you going to be without your man? Do you understand? He, he can't promise to be around forever. I remember a conversation I had with Wallace Morris, who's a former pastor of our church. He was the pastor when I was about 19 and 20. Uh, I thought I knew everything. He knew better, and he very gently tried to teach me, and I was too dumb to listen. But I was explaining women to Brother Morris one day. He, he was, you know... <laughs> 
Y'all are laughing way too much. I was explaining women <laughs> to Brother Morris, and I said, yeah, Brother Mo, I tell you, one of these days I'm going to meet a girl, and we're going to get married, and we're going to be so happy. She's going to be my soulmate. She's going to be my best friend. We're going to love each other. We're going to do everything together. We're going to grow together. It's going to be so amazing. Brother Morris looked at me and said, Timothy, you can't ever expect one person to be the source of your happiness. I thought, what is his problem? You know, has he never, ever, you know, seen the notebook? Is he just the least romantic man in the whole world? I mean, what is his problem? Well, do you understand? Brother Morris loved Wanda with his whole heart. And later in those years, Wanda suffered a, a tragic breakdown. And while they continued to love each other and stay together, it was never the same. You just can't ever expect people to satisfy your needs because for one thing, they don't have what you need. Your deepest need is not to be happy. It's not to be loved. Your deepest need is not to be approved of or accepted or included. Your deepest need doesn't come from people. I said your need is not to be loved. That's a hard one. That's a hard one for me. But, but listen to what I'm about to say because I think it's critical. I do not need to be loved. I do not need to be loved. I need to love. And that's different. And it might be the most important difference that you and I could ever begin to grasp in our, in our lives. I, I don't need to be loved. I can't find that in Scripture. There's never any kind of commandment or, or long text that, that talks about how I need to look for love and, and starve for love. It, it never says that I need to be loved. But over and over and over in Scripture, I am commanded to love. And do you understand the difference between that? Many of us, we go into relationships simply because we want to be loved, and we enter relationships out of our need. But Scripture doesn't describe us in that way. It doesn't describe our relationships in that way. I'm not commanded to be loved, but I am commanded to love. And if I come into a relationship with you out of that need for you to love me, do you understand? Then I can never get around to the real business of loving you. It's all about me. I'm using you to satisfy myself. And that's not love. That's not love. I don't need to be loved, but I do need to love. And the only way that I can truly love you is out of a heart that is already satisfied with the love of Jesus. Do you understand? I have to have a heart that is fully satisfied in God who is my source. And that's the only way I can ever approach you with anything to offer you. It's the only way that I can ever approach you with anything to, to, to give. There's the only way that I can come to you is if I find my satisfaction from my true source. You can't be the source of, of what I need. I don't need to be loved, but I do need to love. And in loving, that is how I imitate Christ. God, who loved the world so much, you understand? He, he loved the world. God loves. And as I become more like him, I'm going to become more loving. That, that means I'm going to love more like Christ loves. And Christ loves out of his tremendous strength. He's not loving us out of weakness. 
God didn't love the world because he needed people to praise him. God doesn't desire our praise, understand, because he's an egomaniac who, who needs to be massaged with, with our praise. No, God doesn't love us out of his weakness. God loves us out of his majestic strength. He is love himself. So the only way to reflect his glory, the only way to become more like him is to become more loving as he is loving. And that means I love out of my strength and not out of my weakness. I love out of the fullness of what he gives me. I don't love you out of the emptiness of my heart. Have you ever tried to love an empty person? So bottom line, I am learning to need people less so that I can love them more. I don't know another way to say it. Um, need people less so that, so that you can love them more. When we talk about people being bigger and God being small in our lives, when I say that you have to learn to fear God so that you can get past the, the, the fear of, of people, it just becomes so difficult. And I know, because even those of us who, who, who say we believe in God and, and we claim to know him, if we're just really honest with each other, um, people just still seem more real than God. I, I believe in God and I know God, but, but often in my life, I am more drawn to people because I see them and because, because I can touch them. I know that God provides for me, but sometimes I just want somebody who has a credit card. You, you understand? I, I, I'm just drawn to, to people because they're here. And they have skin on them. And they have voices that I can hear with physical ears. And, and can we not just all agree that, that that's probably why it's just so difficult to trust God instead of people? Because God is just invisible. He's, he's invisible. And people talk about hearing his voice, but he's not always talking when I'm trying to listen. And, and sometimes when I feel like I need somebody to provide for me, I, I mean, I just don't see how he's going to do it. I mean, honestly, I know there's a curse pronounced on all of us who trust in people, but most all of us fall in that category because, I mean, we're surrounded by, by people, and, and people are real, and God just doesn't seem real. Just being honest. So in our lives, if we're going to find that blessing that comes from relying on Him, then God has to be more real or at least as real as the people in our lives. You've got to come to know God. You've got to really believe and understand how to live in his presence. No, you're not going to see God like you see people. And no, he's not going to speak probably with that audible voice like your, your mama or your wife uses. He's not going to probably provide a credit card you can carry around. But do you understand he never leaves you. You have his presence, and you have to learn. You have to learn how to live in that presence. It's, 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 it's a, a presence. 
you've probably had that experience of being in a room. Uh, it happens to me frequently. Our son's gone to college, and, and it's just me and my wife. And sometimes I'm in the office or in the living room, and I'm not looking, not watching. But, but she comes in the room, and I can feel that. You, you know what I'm saying? I, I, can, I can feel that. I don't hear her. She doesn't say anything, but I just, I, I, I know her presence. I know when she comes in. I can feel that without looking. You understand the experience I'm describing? In, in the same kind of a weirder way, uh, once my son had a birthday, we got him one of those Mylar balloons, the ones that last forever, those silver balloons. So it's way past his birthday, but he won't let us throw it away. And it just starts hanging in the air. It didn't go to the ceiling anymore. It just kind of hang right here. And it, it got where it would move around the house. This was creepy. Because we'd be in bed at night asleep, and, and with your eyes closed, you could just feel something like here. You know what I mean? I'd open my eyes, you know, it's, happy birthday. It's, just, it's like it would kill you in your sleep and just float around and, and, and show it. But what I'm saying is, I, I'm just like, you know, I have this ability, like even without looking, I can just sort of feel, okay, I'm not by myself anymore. And, and in the spiritual life, it's, it's like that. You have to believe that you're not by yourself. That this is what Christ brings. And not just forgiveness of our sins, but, but the blessings and, and presence of God with us every day. God is present. As Rod was leading us into worship this morning, if you didn't begin your worship by first stopping and acknowledging his presence, then you couldn't have worshipped. I mean, who are you singing to? Yourself? Other people? It's, it's his presence. Now, now, I don't see it. I'm not saying that, that I, I see him. And I'm not even saying I always feel it. I'm not trying to talk you into feeling something because I don't, I don't know that that's even possible to, to make you feel something. I just know that sometimes I, I, I do feel his presence as sure as anything, as real as, as your presence. I, I know his presence. But I, I do believe in his presence, that that's where faith comes in. Even when I don't feel anything, I still know that he's here in, in this room. And I have felt his presence richly today, I'll say that. But it's not just in this room. As I go into my life tomorrow on Monday morning, as, as we all step back into our, our marriages and, and our schools and our problems, understand that that, that presence never leaves. I'm trying to talk as simply and, and basically as I can. You have to, in your life, believe in his presence because of Christ and acknowledge his presence, whether you feel it or not, just acknowledge that he's with you because th that presence, that, that strong arm, it's your source. Do you understand? It's, it's your source. That, that, that presence of God with you, the Spirit of God with you, He holds everything you need and everything you desire. And if you don't learn to recognize Him, and, and if in Christ you, you never repair that broken relationship with him, if you never reach the place where the roots of your life can sink down deep into him, then you are cursed. You are cursed. 
you will never be satisfied. There are not enough people in the world to love you if you don't understand the love of God. If you cannot acknowledge his presence and practice that every single day just knowing that he never leaves, then you'll never learn to trust him and rely on him. Cursed is the man who makes people the source of his life. I've been that man. And my hunch is you've been that person too. If you're doubting me, then understand. How else would you explain that incredible emptiness that you live with, even though you have so many people in your life? How else would you describe the way you can come to church and be in a crowd of 300 people and still feel absolutely alone? How do you explain that? That even in your marriage, which you would describe as good, good, somehow there's still just something missing. Do you understand that that dissatisfaction, that frustration with people, it, it always comes along with that person who tries to look for people to provide what people can't provide. God, through Christ, is the only source for you. You have to stop relying on people, even yourself. You have to learn to rely on the Lord. But pray with me. Lord Jesus, I, I pray, I pray for that person in this room who's never really learned to live in your presence. That person, Lord, who comes and goes and doesn't even understand the language I'm using, Lord. I, I pray for that person who sits in church and experiences it as an empty house. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit, your presence would be thick in this place in this moment. Lord, I pray that though we may not feel you or see you, we will never doubt that your presence is here and that you and you alone can sustain our lives. Lord, there's so many frustrated people in this house, and the sound of my voice, so many people who are lonesome, so many people who are lonely, so many people, Lord, who are angry, disappointed, and empty. But I pray that every single one of us will learn that you and you alone are the source of everything we need for life. Let the roots of our soul go down deep into you, Oh Christ, we pray in your precious holy name. Amen.